G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Just imagine for a moment having a mission mindset and growing your influence from starting with one team of young people and no doubt working very hard but holding on to the reins as that flourishes into a worldwide movement with headquarters on six continents. Well, that's the story of what is known as the PACE movement. The PACE project has grown with an alternative approach to mission. They work hard to create partnerships between schools, community projects, businesses and churches. PACE Global Director Paul Clayton Gibbs started out in Great Britain, but he's flown into Australia from PACE headquarters in the United States. And he's in Australia teaching masterclasses on evangelism and discipleship. So a special welcome along to 2020 to you, Paul Clayton Gibbs. Thank you. It's great to be here. Love Australia. Love it. Love Australia. <laughs> uh, we'll, uh, we'll love your accent too. And uh, you've got to realise I don't have an accent. I'm English. So this is... <laughs> <laughs> We're the ones with the accents. That's right, yeah. Okay, <laughs> let's talk about your movement. You know, you started in the UK. Yeah. You, uh, you're actually based in the US now. And uh, you're in Australia because there's a PACE headquarters in Australia too. And by the end of our conversation, uh, hopefully listeners will know that they can make a connection here for some yeah. more inspiration when it comes to getting creative. Before we start to tell the story, this idea of being creative with evangelism, discipleship, thinking about mission, this clearly is something that you've been thinking outside the box for a long time, something we all need to actually get a bit of creative uh, experience in. Yeah, absolutely. So I was saying last night at a church, I think I preached the gospel around about 800 times before I preached in church. Um and you realize very quickly that what you need to do outside of the church is very different from what happens on the inside of the church. And so we have some kind of Jesus questions that we ask. And the one that drives evangelism is why is it do we spend so much of our time, energy and resources inviting people when Jesus spent so much of his getting himself invited? And do we as the church know how to get ourselves invited anymore? So I think it's a kind of a lost art that I like to to discuss and and try and prompt and help people think through how how can you get excited either on a one-to-one basis in a conversation or maybe a church think about how they get invited to the community yes how do we get invited to the community and particularly in a time like this when there's a polarization and yeah. uh, the church is being pushed off to one side exactly. people are trying to do what they do without the church influence and so while we might have always felt this uh, this invitation is always having been open mm. and our uh, our expertise, our advice always accepted. These days, not quite so easy. And uh, in the UK, it's even particularly harder even. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think we have to earn the right. Um, so I've just written a book called Shalom, which is this idea of getting ourselves invited. And uh, Shalom means to bring completion. And I think we can. We can help people discover the why behind what they do. So understanding how to do that has become a really important journey that we've been on. So, 
And I love it, to be honest, we just kind of stumbled across because I got myself invited into schools in the 80s, late 80s, and then learning the principles from that and then helping churches around the world apply that to businesses and schools and the community generally has been really important. But yeah, I think we can't just take it for granted. We've got to earn the right. I think we might work on this idea through the hour uh, and pick up some tips from you on how to get invited. Sure. Because uh, when we're not proactively seeking how to get invited, perhaps not pushing our way into, mm. but how we actually create an opportunity where we're needed yeah. uh, in uh, schools or in community organisations, in business, those sorts of things. Take us back to those really small beginnings, okay. Paul, because uh, when I said, you know, this has flourished into a global movement, six continents around the world, uh, give us some some uh, ideas about what things were like right at the start. Yeah, well... Um the very start of the story of Pays really is when I was born with asthma and eczema. And at 14, well, 13 years old, um, my skin disease became septic. And I didn't grow up, uh, I grew up in a fantastic family, but they weren't Christians or believers. And so um, I would have yellow pus on my arms and my legs. I had to lie in a bath when the bandages came off, my skin used to peel off. Uh, but there was a teacher in my school. Actually, there were two teachers who taught religious education. One turned me off God and one turned me on to God. Um, we can talk about that later, maybe. And the one who turned me on to God um, talked about this tent crusade that was going on. And there were rumours. Uh, so boys from my school were going every day for the week. And they were coming back with all sorts of weird stories about people singing in a tent and listening to a preacher. And But one of the stories was that people were getting healed. So one of my friends said, well, Paul, you should go because you're like a cripple. <laughs> so I went on the last day and... Um, um, I responded to the gospel. First time I ever remember hearing the gospel. And I thought, oh, now I get healed. But of course, I got taken to the back. They led me through the sinner's prayer. While they were doing that, people were getting healed. So by the time I'd gone through the sinner's prayer, everybody had gone home. So um, I went back, went to church for the first time, pretty much heard that I could pray to God myself. Didn't need a priest, prayed, and God healed me within about nine days. Not only septic stuff went, but all my eczema disappeared. So it was kind of good news and bad news. The, the, the good news was God is real and uh, heaven is real. And the bad news was hell's real as well. And uh, that really, really struck me. I thought, well, if this is true, I need to tell people about it. So I was passionate to do that. And um, then I actually backslid um, for reasons I can explain later if you're interested. I backslid, came back to the Lord at 21. Had a real passion to tell people about Jesus. Heard about a short-term mission trip for a couple of weeks. Did it and I thought... This is the most important thing anybody can do with our life. So I went back to work. Uh, I thought it was going to be a missionary. Went and trained for about four months. God told me to go back to Manchester. This is where the story gets a little bit odd. Uh, so there was a witch, a white witch in Manchester, and she um, owned an occ- owned a occult shop. And to promote her occult shop, she um, accused pastors of ridiculing uh, young people in schools when they would go in at Easter and Christmas. So she effectively shut down the schools um, and like you just said before, this idea of people thinking they could just walk in school stopped in Manchester for a while. Um, but I got asked in to help some young people run a lunchtime club, and uh, I carried on doing that for them. And then I noticed that there was, well, there's like a thousand young people in this school, and someone else has bought the building, and someone else is paying the electric bills and the gas bills and paying the staff. So I thought, how do I get invited? So I went to the education committee in Manchester, knocked on a door, and uh, asked for their personal and social education curriculum. Found six subjects that I thought I could probably 
say something about. So I went to a school and said, hey, when you talk on law and order, you invite the police in. And when you do health and safety, you invite the firemen in. Maybe when I speak on these six subjects or when you do these six subjects, you can invite me in. And so the first introduction I had in a school I remember was um, a teacher said, well, well, class, we've been looking at the myths that people believe in around the world. And last week we looked at Noah and the Ark. You're not going to believe this, but we found someone who believed it really happened. And his name's Paul Gibbs. Let's give him a round of applause. That was my introduction in the school. And uh, yeah, that's how I started the school's work. Wow, that is outstanding. And what I'm thinking as you're sharing those things is just how talented and educated and capable so many people are in the Christian community. Mm. And it's a little bit like this is the world's best kept secret. Yes. That we've got insights into all of these issues. Absolutely. That you know that everybody wants to hear about, but because we're not being invited, somehow Mm. or other, we're left out on the sidelines uh, and even looking in on the game saying, uh, how do I get into the game? It's a little bit like uh, you've got to be able to go from being the spectator to actually getting into the game. And in doing that, you can't be arrogant and you can't make demands. As you say, you've got to seek the invitation. So yeah. you're clearly very diplomatic when it comes to doing that. Well, yeah, just learned really. I mean, some of it was just trial and error and some of it was just, you know, happenstance. And, and But I learned. So So what happened next was I was in the school and, um, you know, started to get to invite to do these lessons. Eventually, I was in 17 different schools in, in North and East Manchester um, and, and then, so I believe that um, vision comes um, from an awkward conversation with God. So I think we think that vision is the, the miracle or the burning bush. But vision, that's how God, something gets our attention, then we stack an awkward conversation with God. So I'm in the schools and I'm noticing all these young people are interested in God more than they were when I was younger. Um, so something had changed, I noticed back in the 80s. And they were, they were asking me, how can I find out more? And because of my experience of being plugged into a youth group, but not the full body of the church, I backslid. So I said to them, hey, you know, you need to go to your local church. And of course, their question was, well, who's going to be there? We know, are you going to be there? And because I couldn't be in all these different places, they wouldn't they wouldn't go. So I approached some local churches and said, hey, there's a school that's open next door to you. Um, you know, maybe maybe young people would like to come. So if I can recruit someone, offer them a free mission year, would you host them? And then they can come with me into school. And when we're, when we're in one part of Manchester, Middleton is one of the places, and a young person says, I want to find out more, will you be there? I'll say, no, I can't be there, but Gary can be, or, you know, um, Joanne can be. And so there are five of us on this team. We recruited four other people, gave them this mission year, trained them in what I did, and placed us all in different churches. And we acted as a relational bridge from the church to the school and vice versa. Wow. Let's get into some of the nitty gritty here, because as you're describing those simple beginnings, uh, just holding on when those invitations started to come, more invitations than you could actually attend to yourself. You said, how am I going to be able to deal with that? Uh, I've got to send someone in my place. Uh, If I'm going to send someone in my place in a reliable sort of a way, somehow or other, they've got to be available when I need them to go. And so uh, I've got to be able to apprenticeship them. Yeah. Uh, into a place where they're actually having their personal needs looked after so that they can then be released into doing that. And so all of a sudden you've raised up a missionary. Yeah, and that's right. So let's, uh, let's talk about this creative way that you've been able to apprentice young people 
and then create opportunities for them to have these, uh, you know, uh, Christian leadership roles. Right. Well, I guess there's two sides, and we, you tell me which one. We can either talk about the practical, how we actually practically set it up, or how we actually disciple people and train them, which... Which would you prefer to talk about first? Oh, I want to talk about it all, but uh, <laughs> uh, let's let's do pr- the practical thing okay. first. So, uh, so you know, how did you do that in the UK? And I know that there'll be those listening to our conversation today thinking, how do I do that in Australia? Right. Uh, give us some insights. Yeah. So, well, what I did was I approached some uh, churches, and this is eventually how it still works today, 25, 30 years later, is we say to a church, listen, you know, we can provide one or maybe a team of young adults. They're raw recruits. Hayes will train them in, in areas that you might not be able to train them in. We'll, we'll show them how to go into schools. We'll teach them new methods of youth ministry. We'll do all that. Um, we need you as a church to host them with families. So everything we do is based from Luke 10. So in Luke 10, Jesus sends his disciples and the disciples stay with families in the towns that they're reaching into. So we recruit young people, we, um, young adults. We recruit them 18 plus and we offer them a free mission year. We offer them free accommodation, free meals, and uh, and free training. We place them in the churches, and they act as a relational bridge from the church to the school and vice versa. And they serve with the youth ministry in the church. So they come alongside the youth pastor, and they provide a lot more kind of hands and feet helping with the young people. So structurally, that's how we do it. I don't know if that answers all your questions, but... Well, it's a little bit like, say, you've got a young person out of school and they might choose to have something like a gap year. Exactly. Is that what you're saying? So, yes. And so that young person in their gap year uh, is saying, well, okay, well, I could I could be off studying or I could be getting a job and earning an income and getting my career underway, but I've decided I'm going to commit this year yes. to the Lord and I'm going to serve him. So you've got a way that enables a local church to have basically what is a full-time young youth worker yeah. available with a different and alternative way of reaching out into the community because you're discipling them along the way. Yes. So you've got this apprenticeship for a year and a young person who's being trained for a, what will likely be a lifelong ministry opportunity. Absolutely. I, I get text, I got a text the, the other day from a young lady who was with us actually in Texas and she was trained for a year. She went back and she was saying how much that now she's back at university. She's using some of the methods that she used and learnt for the year, uh, which has been fantastic to see. She's now in Germany, you know, being educated and she's reaching her university, which is wonderful. It's fantastic. Yeah. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Great to have you with us on this Monday edition of 2020. Our special guest is Paul Clayton Gibbs. And our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. We're talking about the PACE movement and getting creative about the ways that you do evangelism and discipleship. And we've come to a point where we've been talking about the idea of young people who leave school and whether they are thinking about going to university, doing further study, or getting their career underway at a later time, a lot of young people like to choose this idea of having a gap year. And so a gap year where they'd make themselves available and uh, particularly to pursue their passion of getting involved in the things of God. And the PACE movement has offered that opportunity, and young people have actually had their needs met while they've had a year of serving God. Uh, let's talk about more uh, along the lines of how this works, Paul, because, okay. uh, you know, uh, connecting, well, first of all, you've got to have young people who are enthusiastic to do that. Yeah, so we're looking for essentially raw recruits. 
Uh, they don't have to come from Bible college. We have people that come from Bible college. We have people that give up jobs to to do this as well. So it's we have a lot of people fresh out of school, but we have people from 18 to 30 that do this. And we're looking for people. They don't have to have any experience of this, but they need to have a, a track record of serving their church, that so they've been part of a church, they're committed Christians. That's a key for us. And then we can train them in everything that they need through our discipleship process. Uh, let's talk about the money side of things okay. and how the method works, because uh, some people are going to say, well, uh, somebody pays the bill at the end of this. And, uh, you know, for a young person and a whole year of, of being uh, part of a local church and doing this sort of apprenticeship that we're calling it, yeah. uh, you know, uh, let's talk about the money. How does that work? I mean, okay. does it uh, miraculously appear from somewhere no it's rich radio hosts that always give us the money so <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah there must be some other station you're talking about here. <laughs> so it's basically split three ways so we offer a free mission year to the young adults so they get meals they get the training they get the, their accommodation for free but what they have to provide is money to get their airfare if they do this overseas or or their visa uh, and just general their pocket money. So, you know, we would say pocket money in England or allowance. So, someone needs to go out to Starbucks, all that kind of stuff. Um, the churches, uh, they find hosts in the, uh, in the church who would be willing to open their homes up for a young person to come for three months or longer. Um, quite often they come for three months and then the host begs that they stay for a year. Um, and then the church gives a little bit of money to pays. It's quite a small amount that then we use to run the team. So we manage the team for the church. I think some churches know that if you set up an internship program, it's quite a big deal. You need to employ someone usually to run the thing and find the, 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 you know, the young people things to do. We manage the whole process for them. So they give some money and they, they get one car that the team can then use to travel around to the schools and then pays. Yeah. We, we, we look for sponsorship to recruit and train and run the conferences uh, for these young adults and get the word out. Yeah. And we really appreciate, to be honest, things like this are wonderful. What you're doing is fantastic. And radio shows like this help us because we have no money to advertise. And, and the fact that you let us share is incredible. For every four people that we recruit, uh, we can we can effectively change several schools. You know, it's wonderful. Uh, well, listeners to this program will know uh, that we love to take the opportunity to be that connecting point mm. when you've got some amazing mission endeavour that you have with the Pays Movement to be able to connect people who are saying, well, hang on, I've got a, a teenage son or daughter and sure. uh, they've been talking about serving God in mission somehow. Maybe uh, this is one of those things that they can explore and yeah. that could happen. So what we're talking about here is because there's a Pays headquarters in Australia yes. as well, that you've got young people in Australia who potentially can link in with a network that yes. you've got around the world, yes. and you can send the rest of the world here, and we can send our young people to have experiences in this sort of evangelism training, mission training overseas. Yeah, so any any young person, uh, 18 to 30, uh, they can do this in Australia. We're looking for Australians for Australia, uh, for New Zealand, but also we've got England and Ireland and Germany and America and Canada and Brazil and different Africa, South Africa, Nigeria, Kenya, Ghana, India. Yeah, all these places around the world. So if they go on our website, uh, they can start an application process. Starting the application process doesn't mean they have to do this, of course, but it gets them into an interview process where they can they can decide where they want to go. Uh, they can find out more about the process as well. So we've got lots of information and videos on the website, which is where they can go as well. But we really want more Australians. We, we've sent a lot of people to Australia. We've had very few Australians because 
nobody in Australia really knows about this. So, oh, Well, let's hope today is a turning yeah. of the tide there, and uh, we'll be sending a lot of our young people all around the world. Let me ask you about something a little bit deeper. Let's get into some spiritual things here, okay. because there is a wonderful concept known as Shalom. Yes. And your latest book, and you've written a bunch of books, but your latest one is all about this concept of Shalom. Yes. Sometimes we think of that as a word that means peace. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's sort of like a Jewish word that people say. Uh, you know, of course, we can read about that in the Bible, but there's a deeper yes appreciation of what that really means because it's beyond some of the ideas that we have about just saying peace be with you. Yeah. Take us into a little bit of depth here on the word shalom. Okay, so um, I'll just explain first of all that for me this is a book about evangelism in a polarized world and how do we bring peace, God's peace, peace with God in a polarized world? How do we get ourselves invited? So it's a very strategic book but shalom itself absolutely means more than peace. It means completion. Uh, it means bringing people back to that place of what God had in mind for them. And I think it's connected to another uh, another Hebrew word, the word for repentance. So when we say repentance, we often talk about turning from our sin. But actually, the Hebrew word uh, for repentance means to turn and return. The question is to return to what? Well, it's to return to who God made you to be and to complete that process. So often when I'm sharing um, the gospel, I personally believe that we have two issues with evangelism. Uh, the first is that we don't preach what Jesus preached, and the second is that we don't do what Jesus did. So they're kind of major problems. And the second problem, which is we don't use the methodology that Jesus had, I think is born out of the fact that we don't preach the gospel Jesus preached. So we preach that Jesus came to rescue us. But the reality is that Jesus came to do more than that. Jesus came to recruit us. He came to recruit us for his kingdom purposes. And, of course, he rescued us along the way. Um, so one of the questions I like to ask um, the people who don't know Jesus yet is, um, why do you exist? You know, why do you exist? And people give me all sorts of reasons and uh, eventually ask me why I think they exist. And I'll say, you exist for the simple reason that God did not have anybody exactly like you. And he wanted someone exactly like you. And so something unique about you. And there's something that God wants to recruit about you to establish his kingdom here on earth. And you have got this incredible opportunity, um, but it takes shalom. It takes this completion process. It takes this journey to return back to the person that God had in mind for you to be. And, and so that's, that's kind of where it's coming from. And it takes us a little deeper, too, in our appreciation of the consequences or the ramifications of what happens when you share the gospel with yes. someone. Because sometimes we think of uh, delivering a message of the gospel. There are some components in there that we might always want to include mm. when we're sharing Jesus with someone. But when we talk about just, you know, a cognitive understanding of the gospel, it's more than that. Mm. Because what we're talking about here is the peace of God. Yes. coming upon a person yeah. in a transformation of their entire uh, life, life yeah. their entire life. And so, and going beyond the individual, when that young individual then begins to reach out to those around them, the peace of God comes into that circumstance too. And so when you've got one-on-one, uh, -on -one, one to a group, one to a school or a business, wherever you work, then into entire communities, the opportunity to bring this peace of God that 
that passes all understanding, that brings this sort of uh, harmonious uh, relationship. This is what the powerful aspect of the gospel is that goes beyond just the personal uh, reception of the gospel message. Yeah, and I think we need, I know when I speak to young people, anybody nowadays, I I think, in my opinion, (laughs) and maybe your viewers will agree with this, but in my opinion, there are two types of Christianity. And I don't mean Protestant or Catholic or Pentecostal or Baptist. I mean, there's a christian-centric gospel and there's a kingdom-centric gospel and the christian-centric gospel is a gospel that says you can get the best life if you make sure you do it right with god so we say to god you know if i do this is that okay if i do this will you bless me uh, and jesus said don't be like the pagans and that's exactly what the pagans did the pagans would go to their god and say i'm thinking of doing this is that okay with you if I do this, will I get into trouble? If I, you know, what do I need to do to get a reward? What do I need to do to avoid trouble? So essentially, we seek what the world seeks. We want to be happy. We want to, you know, be prosperous. We want to be all these things, but we do it the Christian version of, if you like. That's the Christian-centric gospel. A kingdom-centric gospel. Jesus says, "Don't be like uh, the pagans. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God, and He'll give you everything you need." So a Christian-centric gospel, uh, sorry, a kingdom-centric gospel basically asks the question, Lord, what are you doing and how do I bless you, knowing that you'll take care of everything else? And I think if we bring that to young people and we say, it's more than just going to church, it's more than just behaving well, there's this adventure, this destroying of the enemy's work on earth that you can be involved in, and you've got some unique giftings, and we can show you how to use those unique giftings to bring kingdom of heaven to earth and destroy the work of the enemy. That's more exciting, and it's more true of what Jesus came to do. Let me ask you about something pretty special here, because if you're looking to do something creative in your community, you could just pick up an idea or two, and you could decide to run with them. And that may not work, because you just haven't got all of the passion as well as the foundation that you have that you need to hear from God to make those things really effective in your community. I know that you have actually been a man of prayer when it comes to how you actually get some of these creative ideas. And a long time ago, 25 years ago, is it, you decided to walk across England yeah, and uh, in a prayer walk. Yeah. Take us back to a prayer walk and the value of that. Yeah, what happened, I think we had about three of maybe three or four pace teams at the time in Manchester and um, a preacher came to the church and uh, just kind of prayed over me and said, Paul, I, I believe that God's going to give you everywhere you set your foot. So I always think when somebody says something like that to you, it's either one of three things. It's either imagination, manipulation, or revelation. Um, so but I thought, well, let's, let's say if it's really revelation, let's, let's put, put it to the test. So that I'll, I'll walk across England and pray for the schools of England. And so that's what I did So 25 years ago. Now, England's not very big, so it only took two weeks. But you do ascend and descend the height of Everest in two weeks. So it was quite tough, and it was a bit of a sp- spiritual pilgrimage. I had quite a lot of wrestles with God along the way. So I, I literally prayed most of most of the way for two weeks, um, and then over the last twenty five years, of course, it kind of it exploded and, and realised that actually um, God wanted us to reach other nations as well, and that was an interesting process. So twenty five years later, what's happening is I'm realising just schools ministry specifically, and it's not the only thing we do, but schools ministry specifically is just a missed opportunity by the church. We're here desperately trying to get young people into our churches and someone else has bought buildings, somebody else is paying the staff, somebody else is paying the gas and electric, and they're looking for help. Uh, and we can't abuse that. We need to, you know, Pays has a very clear 
chat of conduct that we give to schools to make sure we fulfill what they're looking for and we work within their guidelines. But there are so many opportunities to connect with young people in schools legitimately, ethically, morally, correctly, legally. Um, But the church is just completely, as a general rule, missing it. And so um, uh, about a year ago, I thought, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to walk across England. This time I'm going to pray for the schools of the world. What happened was was a bit surprising, was different people started saying, oh, we, we want to do that. So we think, along with PAYS teams and churches that are connected to us and other youth organisations, we think there'll be around about 10,000 people now uh, in May 2020 who are doing prayer walks near or around their schools, uh, praying for the schools, praying for the teachers, praying for the students, uh, praying that they, they will be able to get an opportunity to help those schools as well. So I'm kind of doing like the keynote walk across England again. If I make it, I'm getting old, but if I make it, that'll be good. And then uh, hopefully that's going to inspire other people to pray for their schools as well. You know, interesting you say uh, that word that comes to people and, you know, every place your foot shall tread. I'm giving that to you. I mean, you know, we're talking Joshua here, Mm. uh, but nobody ever says every place your tire tread shall touch the road. (laughs) I'm giving that to you. So the idea of doing something physical in the walk which is different to what your regular prayer routine might be. Lots mm. of people have a regular prayer, prayer routine, yeah. and you know it might be the weekly prayer meeting in the local church, and they're praying for those things, and uh, they're expecting God to uh, have some, you know, give some revelation as to how they're doing that. How important is it to have some sort of a milestone prayer event? Because you're going to be doing a long walk, and it's got a particular motivation to it. You want to hear from God mm. fresh uh, ideas, fresh creativity about what to do for, you know, it used to be just your community. Now you're probably thinking about creativity for the world. Yeah. Uh, but uh, for those people who are listening to us today, how important is a, a special prayer event in order to actually set some direction? Yeah, I think it's, that's a great question. I think we, we do that regularly now without even thinking about it. So uh, every month we have a prayer and fasting day. So every pays around the world uh, the same day or the same week we, we pray. And we pray for each other. We send each other our prayer requests and our praise reports. And so wherever you are on pays around the world, you'll hear about what's happening in India and Pakistan and all these other nations. And we pray for them. Um, we also have a, a prayer 365. So we have people who pray uh, every day and fast for pays around the world as well, which is important to us. But actually, after I did the walk, um, this may be of interest. After I did the walk, I thought, you know what? Taking two two to three days out a year to pray is really important. So I revisited one of the places I'd walked past, uh, a, a tarn up in one of the small mountains in the Lake District uh, every year for about two or three days. And it was a little bit different because I wasn't there to say, Lord, what to do next? Um because I, I'm always running with ideas. Um, I have a question I ask God, and this question has really helped me find the right guidance. So I'm always running um, ahead with stuff. I used to go there for two or three days to say, Lord, I- I'm doing what I think you want me to do. Here's a chance to just say, no, Paul, you're going the wrong direction. And probably once, maybe twice, that happened. I remember God once saying to me, you've took your finger off the pulse. And that was really clear to me. Um, so that's how I used it. I think it's different for different people, I guess. And I imagine that when you're specifically spending time before God talking about the direction that you're going, as you say, sometimes you can hear, no, you're going the wrong direction. And yeah. uh, Because oftentimes we're just waiting for hearing which direction to go and that's going to be the right direction. Mm. But but that, what does it feel like when uh, when you hear, 
uh, now you're doing it all wrong. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it's a bit of a slap on the wrist, I guess. Yeah, you yeah. Know? So, so I have this question. The question is like, you know, what can I do to most advance the kingdom of God? And um, that's what I normally run, run with. So I don't spend a lot of time. There's too many things almost to pray about anyway. You know, if I was trying to pray about every decision, I mean, I don't know how many decisions I have to make in a day. I just I just won't get anything done. Um, so for me, it's more giving God space. And I go with that question. So what's the thing that will most advance the kingdom of God out of these choices I have right in front of me? And then giving God space. And yeah, it's a bit of a slap on the wrist when you realize you miss, messed up. But it's kind of, I don't know, it's not too bad because at least you're doing it for the right motives. So, uh, What sort of feedback do you get from the local church where you've got a young uh, pace apprentice? Uh, we'll call it that apprentice for that whole, uh, you know, that gap year. They're spending a year connected with a local church. Yeah. Maybe they've come in from a different country and they're into a local church. What sort of feedback do you get from the churches as to how helpful it, it is that they've got a young person there? Or, and I'm sure there's going to be some times when you're going to say, what a problem that young person might create. <laughs> but uh, give us a, a general impression here about the churches yeah. and how receptive they are to getting that sort of idea happening. Well, it is. It's usually very, very positive. Um, I would say the word I... I often here is the word or my word for it would be a catalyst so often we have not just one person but a whole team in a church um and they would say it's catalytic it affects the church because again what we're training these young people in is a different kind of christianity it's a kingdom-centric christianity as opposed to a christian-centric christianity and i think that has an impact so they come into a church uh they're, they're with hosts they're staying with people in the church and it's beginning to raise that temperature of evangelism, discipleship. They're telling their stories about evangelism. They're sharing how they do discipleship. So it begins to influence the rest of the church. And I think that's one of the main things that um, people talk about. I remember I went to visit a church in the Rocky Mountains in Colorado um, about 12 months ago. And uh, the first thing the pastor said is, I want you to meet the hosts. He said, because some of these people were kind of, regular at church or on the edge but since they've had a pays team they're just so involved in what's going on in the church now because they've got a renewed passion so i think even though these young people sometimes they're only 18 19 20 21 22 there's this catalytic approach uh, um, influence in the in the church and i think that's really cool Let's come back to this idea that somehow there's a polarizing uh, that's happening and churches are being, in some sense, uh, locked out of schools. Right. Uh, and I'm not sure what you know about our Australian situation, but uh, in some states like the state of Queensland, where there's an open opportunity for religious instruction, and uh, that is happening right across that whole state. Oh. Uh, other states around Australia, there's a little bit more pressure on and uh, the idea of taking religious instruction outside of school hours and making that only in lunch times or after school. Uh, pressure that comes quite frequently to the idea that we have school chaplains in schools, uh, but sometimes even the chaplain is so restricted in what they can say and what they sure. can do with students, things are getting tougher. So people are thinking, uh, while I'm hearing Paul talking about schools here in Australia, we've got some real pressure coming on. Mm. Uh, I imagine that you've got to be able to approach these things and assess where the pressure is and look for the opportunities anyway. Uh, what are your thoughts for uh, for what you know about Australia? Um, well, uh, so people say to me, you know, do you have to change pays in different nations? And the answer is no. The more you make it like what Jesus did, which I can talk about his strategy in a minute if you're interested, uh, it works everywhere, even in Pakistan, you know. Yep. So uh, what I would say is I think um, my experience is we make the same mistakes. So um, we decide in advance what a school needs and then we approach a rich businessman 
and uh, he gives us some money and then we maybe create a curriculum or we bring in some special muscle builder or some singer and we pre- present something to a school with a, a bow on it and we think this is what the school needs. And then the school will often say no. And then depending on our denomination, we either bind the devil or go into politics. And for me, I'm just not interested in, in the political. I'm not interested in, in us campaigning for you know our rights to be in schools. I just think we just need to forget all that. And we need to approach this differently and, and think, well, how did Jesus get in, invited? So um, we look at Luke 10. And in Luke 10, Jesus says, I, I summarize Luke 10 into four words, spread, spot, stay, send. So spread the word. Don't decide, sorry, don't decide in advance who's going to respond and offer people a unique experience of the kingdom of God. So what is it that happens inside church that you can take to people outside of church that they can experience God without having to come into church first? So we, we you know, try to reach our community back where we live in Texas with this methodology. But that's what we did with schools. So we approached schools and we found out they weren't looking for curriculum. Uh, what were they looking for were role models. They were looking for young people, just a little bit older than teenagers, that the teenagers would look up to, that could model the values, the shared values that we had with the school. So we taught our guys differently. Rather than saying, here's a curriculum to teach, we teach them how to respond to whatever the school needs. So the school might say, oh, we have an issue in this area, or we'd love the kids to know this. Our teams are trained to take that subject, uh, take it away, and two or three days later come back with a bespoke lesson or assembly that fits what the school needs. And then we teach them how to, in a rabbinic method, uh, bring their faith. So what we found as a worldwide principle is, for instance, in Texas, so the separation of church and state, I can't go into a school in Texas, no matter how much it is part of the Bible Belt, I cannot go into school and say, you know, I believe the Bible is, you know, the word of God. However, if I can provoke the question, and I turn to a teacher and say, well, uh, uh, this young person has asked me a question. Can I respond? It's about my faith. Normally the gloves are off and the teachers will always say, hey, if they've asked you a question, you can you can share that with them. So we teach how to provoke the question. So we teach our young people how to prepare answers in advance, how to provoke the question with a, uh, a hint, and then how to create space for that question to be asked. And And that's what we found works in schools. Now, obviously, some parts of the world, you can just go in and it's like, hey, we want you to evangelize our young people. And there are other parts of the world where, um, you know, it's maybe Buddhist and um, they have a different set of rules. But what Jesus did works. So we spread. We don't decide in advance who's going to respond. We offer uh, an opportunity to experience the kingdom of God that's unique. So what can we offer that the world can't offer? And then we uh, spot the people of peace. So we give the young people a next step. So uh, we're not trying to force any young people. We don't chase young people that are uninterested. We don't chase schools and knock on their door and say, hey, you should have a pays team or anything like that. Uh, we, we offer and then we spot. And the way we spot is we give people a next step for them to take. Because what I noticed is that Jesus didn't chase people. And it was amazing that Jesus didn't instigate any healing. So Jesus didn't, you know, in my mind, Jesus has blonde hair, blue eyes, comes from Manchester, floats, doesn't walk, <laughs> sees someone in need and kind of like says, oh, I need, you know, I feel... My heart is full of compassion. I'm going to, I'm going to heal you. It doesn't, doesn't happen in the Bible. Jesus is the most powerful passerby of all time. People know he's there. They know what he represents. And then when they reach out to him, he responds every single time. So Jesus had three different ways of giving people a next step. One of them was through healing. One of them was through hospitality. And one of them was through parables. We, we haven't got time to go into that. But he gave people the next step. And when they took that next step, he responded. So spread spots. 
spot the people of peace um, and and then stay with them. Don't move around from house to house. Stay with those people. No matter if you get a better offer, you stay with those people because you only reap if you're still around at harvest time. So you stay with those people. You label them. So whatever way they've accessed the kingdom of God, you then label them with other aspects. So we offer young people in schools mentoring or discipleship. We offer them Bible studies or self-discovery classes. Uh, we offer them um, to go on mission with us and they may access a different way. But once they've accessed that and once they've connected with us, we then give them other opportunities to experience the kingdom of God. And then finally, we send them to reach those who rejected us in the first place. And that works on a micro level as individuals, but it also works on a macro level, reaching into schools. So when we first went to a certain city in um, in Texas, no school would open its doors to us. We, we said we're here. One school did. It was a school that was just desperate for help. It was a school where if you if you were about to get excluded from class, uh, this was like your last chance. You went sent to the school. It went so well that that school became our representative. They went to all the other schools in the city and said, you've got to get these guys in. They really, really help. So spread, spot, stay, and then send those people to to reach the ones that rejected you in the first place. Well, what an amazing thing that we've just heard. And the idea that there is no limitation no. on where the gospel should be, could be shared. Uh, and even if someone tries to put a limitation on you, yeah. you will find a way around it. Yes. I love this idea that there is no limitation and uh, you won't be stopped by anyone. And the Jesus method is what is going to bring this kingdom message Absolutely. to the whole world. Yeah. And, of course, this works, as we've been saying, you're in six continents around the world and uh, even in Pakistan or even some of those more difficult places to share the gospel. You're training young people to never say die, mm. uh, to always look for the opportunities because there's a way around every barrier. That's so powerful, and it just reminds me of uh, some of the titles of your books, uh, where your latest book is called Shalom, How to Reach Anyone Anywhere. In other words, uh, this is anyone, anywhere, no exception. There yeah. is an opportunity that's waiting, and you won't be denied. Yeah. Uh, another one of your books here, uh, Talmidim, yeah. uh, How to Disciple anyone in anything yeah. so this is like this unlimited potential yeah. and uh, you're discipling people to think outside the box not to be limited because you know we can blame all sorts of things ideologies uh, the devil the government everybody's got a limitation on yeah. what our potential is yeah. as a believer and a follower of christ and uh, and and you're saying hey don't worry about all that stuff. Jesus can make the way. And, of course, yeah. when the Holy Spirit is with us, you know, uh, go into all the world and, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, he's the one who's making the way for his mission. Yeah, and as long as we begin to understand what his message was and that he had a different methodology. So, for instance, with Talmudim, which is how to disciple anyone in any way, we have a different Jesus question. And for that, our question is, why is it that we spend so much time, energy, and resources educating people and hope they have an experience of the kingdom of God. When Jesus took people on an experience of the kingdom of God and educated them along the way. And and we, I think there's one thing, Neil, that we don't do in the church anymore. It's discipleship. I know we say it, we have discipleship classes, but discipleship classes like an oxymoron, you know, like Microsoft works. It's <laughs> two words that don't <laughs> yep. go together. Yep. So 
uh, discipleship is about taking people on experience, which is what Jesus did. And we don't do that anymore. We have discipleship classes. We've turned discipleship into education. And education is an important part of discipleship, but it's not discipleship. You know, I can stand and preach on stage to 10,000 people. If I get off that stage and take that message and, and preach to a small group of five people at Starbucks, it doesn't magically become discipleship. It's just me preaching to five people. Discipleship is a different methodology, and it's about taking people on experience. So first, you need to know, well, what is the experience I'm having of advancing the kingdom of God? And that could be different people. You know, some people might be prayer intercessors. Some people might visit people at hospitals. I did schools work. It could be a, a million different things. But then the question is, how do I reproduce that in other people? How do I teach them what I do? And how do I give them the principles? And we need to take people on that journey. And young people don't want to just simply go to church and be educated. So young people are interested in God. But if we use methodology that doesn't work, we're going to get you know results that don't work as well. So we have to do what Jesus did if we want to get the results he got. Well, as we talk about this sort of unlimited potential, uh, Shalom, how to reach anyone anywhere, Talmadim, how to disciple anyone in anything. There's some more books you've written, and the, and they've got this sort of, you know, outside the box, unlimited potential. Don't be held back. Don't be in some way under the thumb from uh, yeah. something that anyone else would bring. Uh, Haverim, how to study anything with anyone. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Kingdom Patterns, Discovering God's Direction, Kingdom Pioneering, Fulfilling God's Calling, Kingdom Principles, Developing Godly Character. These are the book titles that I'm giving here. Uh, these, no doubt, become the curriculum uh, that's necessary when you've got young people who are on this journey, yeah. on this experience. Yeah. And so you're really turning it, turn it round. I mean, you know, we talk about the horse before the cart or the cart before the horse. Uh, you're turning this idea of how we do mission, how we do evangelism on its head. Yeah. And, and again, let's talk about the Bible. So just for a moment, if that's okay, it's again, different Jesus question is why is it we spend so much time, energy and resources um, teaching people uh, what to study instead of teaching people what Jesus did, which is how to study. So the, the situation I think most Christians have when it comes to Bible studies, you know, we're at work, I've got someone at work and they're saying to me they've got this issue or they've got this question on their mind and all I can do is invite them in to a Bible study It might be on some random subject somewhere that doesn't fit where they're at. Wouldn't it be better if I was trained by the church to know how to help anyone find answers in the Word of God? And so we, we use a method that's going back again to rabbinic times um, that, that teaches us, looks at Scripture in four different ways and unpacks any Scripture using these four methods that Jesus would have used. So what we're training young people to do, and it's based, I don't know if you remember I mentioned about the school's uh, methodology, which is we don't take a curriculum to school. They tell us what they need, and then we teach people how to create curriculum. It's the same with Bible study. We train our guys how to study anything. So if they're with a young person and that young person has a particular question, our guys are able to respond to that and teach them how to find answers in the Word of God. Well, we have run out of time for our conversation today, but Paul Clayton Gibbs has been our guest, and no doubt you'll have been inspired by some of the things that he has shared. Heading to Sydney at the end of this month, doing some conferences there, 
There'll be details about those meetings at paysmovement.com. Uh, for those who are in uh, Brisbane or around southeast Queensland, some opportunities this weekend. On the 15th, that's a Saturday, a Shalom Masterclass at Centro Centre. Now, that's in Windaroo, south side of Brisbane. Sunday the 16th, two morning services at Catalyst Church in Ipswich. And then on Sunday the 23rd, the Discipleship Masterclass at River City Family Church. Uh, that's in Settlement Road, the Gap in Queensland. So for those who are in southeast Queensland, uh, you might want to make a note there to be able to capture some more uh, from this amazing, creative and uh, no-holds-barred, no-barriers ideas that come from the PACE movement. PACEmovement.com. There is an outfit in Australia. It's being led by Pat and Sarah Cleaver. Uh, originally from Germany and joined PACE in Australia back in 2016. And uh, they have got a deep passion for taking God's word and his kingdom principles uh, through discipleship. And so there is an Australian expression there. You can make contact. I'll point people to again to pacemovement.com. Paul, thank you so much for taking some time to share your heart with us today on 2020. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.